my 13th trip to, to youth camp or boot camp, whatever you want to call it. Uh, for 13 years, I have left my home, my bed, which is awesome, uh, for a week. Traveled a little over three hours north of here to get up early, stay up late, eat bad food, endure scorching heat, and sleep in an uncomfortable bed. For Jesus! I wasn't alone. I mean, I know I had Michael with me the whole way, and I had charity and joy. And it sounds horrible, I know, but amongst all the misery, Christ does show up and do some amazing things. I saw kids weep that I've never seen weep. Truly, like some, some of the guys, some of our guys, man, had some crazy moments in the altar that for all my years of watching them grow up, I had not seen it before. I witnessed kids who were struggling with all sorts of issues find freedom in the altar. I, I witnessed leaders and even youth pastors pour themselves out for their kids. I mean, they're tired, they're spent, they're hungry, they're thirsty. They're beaten down by the heat, but they're also rushing to the altar. Why? Because they're desperate. They've been told that Jesus holds what they need to rush to him, so they like, with like a childlike face, they run to him, right? To the, they just go, and they run, and they wait for Jesus to pour himself out. The Bible says that Jesus uh, challenges us always with asking, it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be opened to you. In the gospel, according to Luke chapter 5, there's a story of a man with an advanced case of leprosy. If you want to turn there, that's where we're going to be. We're just going to be in a small passage of scriptures in Luke chapter 5, verses 12 through 16. Verses 12 through 16. If you've got your Bibles, you can open them, or you can turn them on, or whatever it is you do. If you've got the Apple iWatch and you're getting it on right now, whatever that is, it doesn't bother me. Luke chapter 5, verses 12 through 16, and we're going to kind of start here. reads like this. It says, In one of the villages, Jesus met a man with an advanced case of leprosy. And when the man saw Jesus, he bowed with his face to the ground, begging to be healed. Lord, he said, if you're willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said. Be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared. Then Jesus instructed him not to tell anyone what had happened. He said, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. But despite Jesus' instructions, the report of his power spread even faster. And vast crowds came to hear him preach and to be healed of their diseases. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. Now, the Bible is quick to point out the severity of the condition of the leper. Uh, the leprosy was more than just a few dark spots on the skin. All right, It ain't like, hey, I've got this freckle that's weird. Uh, maybe we should have it looked at. No, man, it was an advanced case. This guy was missing like whole pieces, right? He's bound uh, to humility now because the pride of beauty is gone, right? When you're missing your nose, it's hard to look at the mirror and go, I'm so awesome looking. Right? You're not flexing your muscle anymore because you don't want your muscle to fall off. Right? I mean, this is an advanced case. This thing is bad, right? So the pride of beauty is gone. And at this point, I'm sure he was living in isolation or around other lepers because Leviticus is very clear about someone who has leprosy. It says, go back and find it in the Bible. It says that lepers must be alone. It must, they must be excluded from the rest of the, the, the body and must now live by themselves because they are unclean. So he's living in isolation 
The pride of beauty is gone. Everything he once was is now changed. His life is very different. And a couple of thoughts came to mind as I begin to study this more. And these are just really thoughts, maybe even some observations here. It took leprosy to get this man to come to Jesus. Many of us will never go to Jesus unless it gets real bad. Why is that? You know, my parents are like this. I'll be like, they'll be struggling with something. My brothers or man, my brother's not doing well or something, or he's making bad choices or bad decisions. My parents will call me and talk to me about it. It's like, well, have you prayed about it? Well, man, I'm not going to concern God like that. He's got way better things to do. There are people hurt in hospitals, Jim. I'm not praying for your brother to make better decisions. That's, that's just not fair to God. I'm like, you know he can multitask, right? Like, you know that he can, do, he can do more than one thing. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's God, right? I mean, like, you know that, right? Ah, but it's not as, listen, I don't want to trouble him. Like, I'm pretty sure it's no trouble, Mom. Like, he's, it's going to, like, why do we do this, though? Listen, well, before we laugh, right? Many of us will never go to Jesus unless it gets real bad, right? That's why we have the phrase in Christianity that says, well, hey, you can always pray. Because that's not what you do first. What you do first is try to manhandle your situation and manhandle your problem until all you got left is prayer, right? That's what we do, right? So we're like, oh, well, we can always pray about it. What's the truth? We ain't pray about nothing, right? You ever had somebody come up, will you pray for me? Oh, man, I will pray for you. No, I'm not going to pray for you. That's, honestly, that's like what we do, right? Oh, I'll pray for you. And we, no, we don't know, we don't never pray for them. Like my wife will tell you, she's like got to the place where she will pray for you right then and there because that might be the one time she gets to because she will forget. Life does go on. Life does get busy, right? <clears throat> I'm not sure what's going on there sometimes with the thought process with God. Some just don't feel like it's worth troubling him. Some feel like the things that they're going to give God is petty. Some just want to believe that they can actually handle everything that's going on in their life. That's naive and prideful. That is naive and prideful. Whatever the issue that drives us to the advanced case of anything, we can't give up hope. I don't care if it's not leprosy. I don't care what it is. You don't get the, you don't, listen, you worship the Lord of hosts who can do all things. The idea that there is no hope is a lie. There is never a time in your life where there is no hope, ever. You cannot read the Bible and call yourself Christian or call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ and believe that there is no hope. No matter how bad it gets, we have to remember who our source is. We have Jesus. We have the creator. We have the author and finisher of our faith that he can do anything. Our situation can change in a moment's notice. But first things first. We must, listen, we must approach Jesus with our problem. We must approach him with our problem. I don't care how bad your situation is. First and foremost, you must come to him. The scripture said, when the man saw Jesus, he bowed with his face to the ground. Listen to the next word, begging to be healed. This morning, can I ask you a question? What is holding you back? Are you scared of him saying no? Are you scared of him not healing you for something you've done in your past? Uh, why not just approach him about everything? This leper, though his condition was advanced, didn't find it as something unattainable to approach Jesus. It wasn't like he, he felt like he could approach this man. I, this is somebody I can approach. 
Because that would have been a dangerous thing. Listen, the unclean doesn't go near the clean. That would have been a dangerous thing. As a matter of fact, the, le- the leper does something to Jesus that few people will do their entire life. Listen, because this is, this is big, and while it's going to sound simple, if you really think about it, it's not. This leper does one thing that few of us ever do. He bows low before Christ. Actually bows his face to the ground, all the way to the ground. Touches his face to the ground and begins to beg. Why does he bow? Because he has tremendous need that no one, earth, no one on earth can help him with. No one on earth can help him with the need that he has. He wants to be healed. He wants to be restored. He wants his family back. He wants to belong. All of this is unattainable as a leper. He can't have his family back. He can't go near anybody. He can't go near anyone. He can't go back into town. He has to rely on the scraps like the dogs to get something to eat. He has nothing. He's reached the place where begging is a pretty good choice. There's no doctor that can heal him. There's no person that can help him. He needs a miracle. He needs a miracle. He needs God to be real. He needs God to be true. That needs to be a truth. It can't be like, well, I think it might be. I think this guy's got... No, I need, I need God to be real. Why? Because the only thing in this world or in this earth right now that can heal me will be something supernatural, not from this earth. Because as it's told, there is no medicine that was going to cure the leper. That doesn't come till years and years and years later till we figure out what leprosy is, right? So on this time, in this time, there is no hope for this man unless God is real. He needs a miracle. He thinks if Jesus is God, or even just the prophet of God, then just maybe he can heal me. Man, can I preach a little bit this morning? I'm feeling it. It's not the sight of God that puts you on your knees. Let me say that again. It's not the sight of God that puts you on your knees. The Bible's clear that there's nothing majestic or beautiful about Jesus Christ. There's nothing that makes you when you see him go, man, I should probably bow. There's nothing. None of these people. Matter of fact, uh, I think we can probably count just as many times as they tried to bow, as many times as they tried to hit him, flog him, choke him out, push him off cliffs. Think about it. Nobody was intimidated by Jesus. Nothing. The Bible's clear there. It's your faith in him. Faith produces hope, a hope that Jesus is who he says he is. That he really desires to perform the works of God upon the earth. You see, for some of us, our problem is... Uh, our problem is pride. We'd rather die than beg. Well, I got cancer, and everything's bad. Oh, I prayed to God. No, nah, man, like, have you, like, really prayed? Have you, like, stayed there so long, man, that they told you, like, you got to leave? Like, how really bad do you want it? Would you, well, I mean, really, I mean, the truth of the matter is, let's be honest, man, we'd rather die than beg. We'd rather die than wait. Sometimes waiting, we feel like is death. Come on, you ever like put your kid in time out? Ah, you're killing me. And you're like, man, I'm about to show you killing you, right? Like, I'll show you what pain is. And some of us, be, and I'm, if you're like me as a kid, they were like, okay, you can do three days detention or three licks. No brainer. <laughs> no brainer. All day long, buddy. I mean, all day long. Give it to me. What you got? What you got? Beat me silly. But I ain't going to have to wait for three days in no room. That ain't happening. That's worse than three licks, man, all day long. Right? We'd rather die than beg. We'd rather die than wait. 
Some of us are so stubborn, right? I think, I think God sometimes allows, man, you know what? Go ahead and die. Go ahead. That's what you want. I'm just going to give you the, your heart's desire. Go ahead and die. You want, to, you want to sit there and cry? You want to sit there and bawl about it? You want to sit there or do you want to believe? Do you want to sit there and have faith? Some of us are stubborn. We're not getting on our knees for anything, much less our faith. Some of us beg for the wrong things. You're a lot like a child asking for all kinds of things you just don't need. Things that won't enrich your life or don't enrich your life. Things that won't help your walk. And you're always, well, God, I need this. You don't need it. And then you're like, well, God doesn't answer prayer. So I'm not begging him. Uh-huh. That's real mature. Right? And the funny thing is, is like none of us are going to understand this until we get older. Right? Until we understand. Like some of us need to have kids just so we can understand what it's like. Listen, make no mistake about it. I'm going to tell you this secret right now. Marriage and kids are not for your happiness. Marriage and kids are for your holiness. They're to teach you how to be compromising. They're to teach you how to be selfless, not selfish. Selfish is what you were before you got married until you realize, oh my gosh, I got to share everything. Listen, I live in a house with four girls. You think I have a bathroom to myself? You think I have closets? No. That's what I got. Yeah. That's what I got. It made a lot of sense. I, listen, I grew up with four boys with one, with a mom, with mom, right, in the house, the only girl, right? Still went outside on the bathroom. Mom owns everything. Right? We ask for dumb things, man. When we're kids, we're dumb. We're dumb to everything, right? We don't have an idea of what we're asking for, but I need it. No, you don't. Guess what? I got by just with fine without it. I got by just fine without it. We don't see these things. We've got to get past the petty stuff, the materialistic garbage, and start to hunger for things that are more productive in our life. Things that will help you be who Christ has called you to be. That's what you should be praying for. I talked to a pastor's wife one time. I said, man, I've been praying for patience. She goes, I will never pray for patience. She goes, God's going to give it to me anyway. But don't you think, I'm just saying, don't you think you should, if, especially if you know how much, listen, you can you not pray for it and you can believe God is going to give it to you anyway. Well, then why would you pray at all? With that kind of logic, why do you pray at all? Well, God knows my needs, so I just don't even have to pray. That's dumb. That's dumb. God says ask. Yeah, does he know your need? Absolutely. The Bible says that too, right? That he knows the need before you ask. But what does he tell you to do? Ask. You know why? Because some of you need to get the pride out from underneath you, man, and start living in humility. You need to ask. You're too prideful to ask. And you need to ask. Some things you can pray standing up, and then there are some things that you've got to put you on your face. And if you haven't experienced that yet, then let me tell you something, folks. You haven't lived yet. If there is one thing in life that I have understood, that life is full of hardship. And there will come a time when you will need God desperately. Will you humble yourself and bow low before him? Or will you not? You know what? I don't want to bother. I'll tell you this much. If you're worried about being condemned, having your sin pointed out or feeling judged, take a look back at the scriptures. He says, Lord, he said, if you're willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Jesus reached out and touched him and said, I am willing. If you're worried about being judged, if you're worried about being unclean, if you're worried about what Jesus is going to say to you, why don't you first ask him? Why don't you give him the benefit of the doubt that he is who he says he is, that he is full of grace, that he's like shoveling out mercy by the truckloads. Yeah, I know you don't deserve it, but I'm giving it out anyway. And he's on, he's on, a, he's on a worldwide outreach to hand out as much mercy as he can. 
the leper bows as low as he can get. What's left of his nose is touching the ground. Think about this. He's desperate. His voice is shaky. Will he be punished for being unclean as he approaches a holy and righteous man? Or will this Jesus heal? Think about the thoughts that are having to enter his brain at this point. I know we like to read the Bible and we like to read a story and we separate ourselves from it. But really, guys, really read into this. See it for what it is. This guy has said an advanced case. His voice finally spits out the words, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Notice he didn't say, uh, can you heal me? Can you make me clean? That's not the question he has for Jesus because he has faith to believe that Jesus can. And church, that's half the battle. That's half the battle. Do you believe that Jesus is able to heal you? Do you believe that he can? Then it's not a matter of ability. It's a matter of willingness. Isn't that the struggle of our day? Oh, man. We fully believe God is able to do everything, right? We, but, but, we, but we struggle to believe that he's willing to do so, right? God, I know you can heal this person in the room, God. And so if you're willing, and you know what I have found out, and I'm going to tell you in my embarrassed Pentecost state, that, that I'm scared. To, so when I, when I get scared that God's not going to move in the Holy Ghost, that's when I use the whole willing God. But Lord, we want your will. I'm embarrassed to say that. I found, as, as, as much as a Pentecostal preacher I am, that I'm scared at times God's not going to show up. God's not going to heal His people because I've seen times where God didn't. And all of a sudden it causes me to doubt God. God, are you going to show up? Why wouldn't you want to heal these people? And you know one thing is? I don't know all, this, I don't know all the circumstances. I don't know the things why God says no or why God says yes. All right? So we pass it off as, you know what? Whatever God's will is. And there's a, there was a time in my life where I was like, well, then I, I, I literally, I remember seeing a homeless man at the site in Dallas, and I was doing a lot of street ministry at the time, and, 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 and really uh, struggling with the fact that there, I would see people who were, uh, 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 like, had broken legs for years and years and years and never got it fixed because they were sleeping on the streets. And I was like, God, I'm going to lay hands on that person. I begin, and I don't know if it's the devil or whatever it is, but like, begin to like, believe at some point, God, why am I laying hands on people if you're never going to do these things? bothered me i mean it like wrecked me and i started understanding i started researching the sovereignty of god and the will of god and understanding how god works and i do uh, I, I did learn a lot in that time i did learn a lot but it also put a lot of doubt in me like god why wouldn't you you know, god you say you're willing then why aren't you showing up and you know what i don't know all the circumstances to why god says no i can tell you this that some of our greatest triumphs come in our worst situations most often, failure is the catalyst of success. Pain is the catalyst of joy. <laughs> and so, like, there's a lot of things I've come in wisdom and understood a lot of things, but there's still a lot of things where I still struggle. Lord, I know that you can. It's not a question if you can. It's are you willing? And one of the greatest things I think that maybe started to begin to restore me in that is this. I heard a Pentecostal preacher get up and preach one time. His, brother, his name is Pastor Crabtree. Uh, Crabtree is a guy who's been around for years and years and years with the Assemblies of God. And one time I heard him speak like, uh, at, a, at a district council meeting. And he said, he said this, which, which is great. And he says, man, not bringing the altar up, not praying for people, not believing somebody could heal is about as dumb as sending somebody to a hospital uh, 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 and just not going to the hospital or not going to the doctor anymore because you believe, well, it's either going to get better or it's not. 
I mean, listen, the doctor's no guarantee that you're going to be healed. The doctor's no guarantee that. No hospital can guarantee. There's more death in the hospital than any other place ever. But you still go there, don't you? He said, man, that's why no matter what, men and women will come to the altar and we will believe for God to heal them. Why? Because that is what we've been called to do. Now, whether we see it or not, you know, the funny thing in the Bible is we don't see so much of the failures as much as we see the successes. We never see any time where they laid hands on a person and it didn't happen, right? At least in the apostles. There was others, because remember it says, hey, they were trying to cast these guys out. It couldn't happen, whatever. And Jesus is like, listen, praying and fasting, it's going to take some extra miles, right? There's a lot of things, and that began to work on me with the whole hospital idea. I began to look at that. He's right. He's right. It's like you complain about the hospital. There's so many sick people in the hospital. Where else are they going to go? I heard at camp some of our kids, you know, they're highly competitive. When they set up all these games, they want to be camp champ. You know, the girls that want to be camp champ want to be camp champ. And, and now listen, the rec, you, the rec crew is the, the, that runs the camp, they're like 18 to 21 because all of you are a bunch of truth tellers at 18 to 21, right? Yeah. You see where I'm going with this? Like, uh, they're not like the, I mean, like, while they're trying to learn how to be ministers, the rec crew is, they still struggle. They're 18 to 21. They get lost in the moment. They don't play fair. They don't, they won't do something right or whatever. And so, like, the kids will be like, well, they're lying. They said this, but this really happened. I'm like, hey, man. This is literally what I I remember saying this week. I said, hey, guess what? They're going to be liars here at this camp. They're going to be people who steal stuff at this camp. There's even been people that probably hit other people at this camp. Just like there's going to be sick people in the hospital, dying people in the hospital. Where else can they go? Who else loves liars? By the way, we advertise that we love liars. We're Christians, right? Jesus, is a, he's been advertising that for a long time now. He loves hypocrites. Hello. He ministered a lot to the Pharisees. I know he talked harsh to them. I know it seems like they're the enemy, but make no mistake. Jesus died for them just as much as anybody else. By the way, Jesus died for everybody else that's doing sin, drugs, alcohol, all the other junk that they're lost in their idols to and everything else. Why wouldn't the church be full of those people? So every time I hear that complaint, man, that church full of hypocrites, praise Jesus because that's where they need to be, at church. Maybe there they'll hear the voice of God and get right. What are you going to do with them? Kick them out and then what? Like the world needs any help? At least there, it's like kicking an alcoholic out of the meeting because he's still struggling drinking. That doesn't make any sense. If the hypocrite ain't at church, there's no hope in the world. If the liar isn't in church, there's no hope in the world. If, the, if the somebody who's struggling with an idol of drinking or, or anything else or drugs or whatever those things are that are idols in their life, where else can they go and find help? Where else is there a God saying, I am willing? This morning, listen, whatever your struggle is, hear me. Jesus is saying he is willing. I mean, look at the next, the little bit next. It says, instantly, the leprosy disappeared. It didn't stop. Nobody celebrated remission. It literally and instantly, according to the Bible, disappeared. It was gone for good. I don't know what you've been praying for or what's holding you back. In the old days, they used to say that you pray until you break through. What breakthrough do you need in your life? And you should be writing that thing down, whatever that is. How much time have you spent actually praying about it? Have you bowed yourself low 
in praying about it? Have you spent time with your face before the Lord, face to the ground, and begged like someone desperately thirsty for a cold glass of water? When was the last time you prayed like that? While you're wondering, God, why aren't you hearing me? Why aren't you answering the call? When was the last time you humbled yourself to that point where you got on your face? I can tell you when it was for me. Uh, when I first arrived here at uh, uh, First Assembly, Marble Falls, and started as a, as a, honestly, I started as an associate pastor. The pastor had hired me in. Uh, he was here. I came in January 2009. But listen, guys, by, by I think it was the first weekend of October, I got a call on a Saturday. Hey, I'm letting you know. The day before Sunday, this is my last Sunday. If you need to leave, I understand. Seeing how you're a staff pastor and this your senior pastor is leaving. I had been there not even 10 months. I've nine full months of being here before the senior pastor who had hired me down here. I'd moved four hours from my family and moved me down here and said, I'm going. And I love the guy, and I believe God told him it. And I believe it was all God sent. At the time, that's hard to see, guys. That was 2009. 2016, I can tell you that's Jesus. 2009, I can tell you I'm scared. I just moved my family four hours away from everything they've known. All their cousins, all their relatives, everything they've known. I took a gigantic pay cut to come down. I took a, like a 50% pay cut to come down. And, and to, to, for the guy who I believed in and was going to carry the vision to leave. And those four months that happened afterwards until they could hire a new guy, I stayed here because I felt God say, stay. And I stayed. And that was the scariest moment of my life because I didn't know if the guy that was going to come in was going to. Most often when anybody comes in in new leadership, you'll know this in business too. They like athletic directors do the same thing. They get all new coaches. They want their guys. They don't want somebody else's guys there. They want their guys, right? So I didn't know. My whole four months is waiting for this guy who's going to come fire me. Now, he doesn't do that. I would go on to do ministry there. But that four months of waiting, can I tell you, I, I would pray every morning, hour every morning. But during those four months, I would pray an hour every morning and an hour every evening. I would get up there early as I could at the church, like 5.30 in the morning, and I would just lay on my face in the middle of the church with all the lights off and just lay there for an hour and just pray and weep. And then I would go in afterwards and lay there for an hour and pray and weep at 5 o'clock. Tell Joe, I'll just be home 6, 6, 15, something like that. I'm gonna, I gotta go pray. I'm too scared. I don't know what to do, God. I, I'm bowing low before you because I'm lost. I can't, I thought this was it. I thought you, I, Lord, I came down here. I was gonna follow this vision. This was gonna be it. God said, I got plans. I got things for you to learn, things for you to see. Sometimes there are things in your life that'll catalyst that moment. What are you praying for? And how much time are you giving it? Has it knocked you down yet? Has it made your face bow low? Have, how long have you waited? Have you stayed in the altar? Have you beaten upon the throne until he says yes? The persevering prayer. Prayer is the single key. It's the single key. What breakthrough do you, do you have in your life? What are you needing? The house that God built that Jesus died for was prophesied to be the house of prayer. And I'm going to tell you something. A lot of churches have been built that are not the house of prayer. Matter of fact, the, 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 prayer, the prayer service is usually what we call the Cinderella service. She's the prettiest of ones, the prettiest of all services to God, and yet the one that's always treated like the stepchild, like maybe like 5% of us show up to it. 
Prayer is the single key to, every, to this story and every other story. On the surface, you could look at this and say, when did he pray? But isn't that what he's doing? Come on, he got down on his face, he closed his eyes, he begged the Lord Jesus for a healing. I don't know about you, but isn't that what we do today when we pray? I hope so, because some things just don't change. I mean, the music might change, the preaching might change, the building might change. God is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And prayer hasn't changed since the garden. When we talk to God, we are praying. Where did Jesus cultivate all his power? Go look back. His ministry never blossomed until he found time in the desert to get in prayer. Out of all the things that the disciples could have asked Jesus, they never asked him uh, uh, how he healed someone. They never asked him, Lord, how did you get so good in preaching? The one question that they always came back to was, Lord, how do you pray? Why? Why ask that? Because they saw where the power of his life came from. His constant communion with the source. He's constantly connected so that, that his whole ministry could be said of this, right? It's always summed up in Jesus' words. He always says, I only do that, which I saw the Father do. Where did you see that at? Prayer. Well, I only say that, which I heard the Father say. Where did you hear God speak to you? Prayer. How did you become a good preacher? Prayer. I talked to God. I just tell whatever he said I, I said. Well, how did you do that? Well, I, whatever I saw him do, I, I just did. By the way, that, I mean, that makes it really simple, doesn't it? And go, go back and look at the scripture again. It says, then Jesus instructed him not to tell anyone that it happened. Boy, that's opposite of all our ministries. Go tell everybody. That's what we do today. I could get on. That's a whole other soapbox. He said, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have healed by leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. But despite Jesus' instruction, the report of his power spread because we like gossip, right? So we talk. And fashion, the crowds became to hear him preach and to be healed of their diseases. Look at that last line. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. Can you imagine what would happen today if something crazy was going to break out here? Say we healed a couple, say a couple people got healed, right? Cancer, remission, all this stuff. So we start praying for things. Serious supernatural things happen, right? People are coming in the doors left and right. And then I turn to all of you and go, I'm taking a week off. I'm going to go pray. You're like, whoa, pastor. We got an influx of people. What are we going to do while you're gone? I don't, listen, I'm not worried about that. God, God's got that. But I need to go pray. I'm not sure we'd understand and be like, dude, you're totally messing it up, man. God would want all these people to come here. God would want to witness. I mean, think about what Jesus is doing. Jesus always kills his momentum. All right? He's like total anti-church today, or at least American church. I mean, as soon as they start getting big, like vast crowds come to see him, oh, I'll just go pray. I'd rather not. I mean, it's weird. I mean, one, one minute he's like got a crowd that's huge, and then he'll start saying things. that are, I mean, that's, when, that's how communion came about, guys. He started saying things to break the crowd up, right? Big crowd comes to see him. Oh, yeah, guess what? Drink my blood and eat my flesh. Uh, okay. Put the brakes on. Uh, and it says they dispersed, and they were like, uh, we don't understand. No, that's weird. He, he constantly defies what we think is logical. Which should beg us to, to, to really, it should really, it's, it's begging us to look into this further and go, are the things we do, are we doing them right? Are we lusting after people? Or are we driving towards Jesus? Because listen, man, if we're not the house of prayer, then what are we? 
What are we? What are we chasing if we're not chasing after God? What is our source? Is our source people? Is our source, listen, is our source this book? While the word of God is great, I'm going to tell you something. God still wants you on your face. He wants you on your face. He wants you praying. Despite all the crowds that hear him, despite all the people he healed, Jesus withdrew to the wilderness. How much are you, this question, how much are you withdrawing for prayer? How much time are you spending daily in prayer? Or does your life look more like you have withdrawn from prayer? When everything is busy and everything is telling you to keep pushing forward or you're going to hurt your momentum, do you find time to silently withdraw? Or do you press through to your crash? God's way isn't the easy way, but it is the right way. Now let me tell you, I want want to speak to you a little bit from, from camp and the things that God began to share with me at camp. Because I've got a challenge for this church, for this body of believers, for, this, for my family here. God began to take me, and as I, one of the hardest things for me to do was to transition Michael into this position. All of a sudden, I couldn't go lay hands on all these kids, and I want to pray for everybody, and I want to be a part of everything. But God had begun to say, listen, Jim, I need you to decrease while he increases. I, I, I need you to start helping and being the pastor you're called to be and equipping your people to do the ministry. You see, when I met Michael, I met him a year and a half ago now, uh, and uh, I was working at the YMCA. He hadn't finished his college yet. He hadn't become a teacher yet. He had, these are all things that we watched along the way. Michael kind of blossomed. It's fun to talk about him when he's not here. I did have talks with him at camp. Uh, but uh, watching him transition into ministry, knowing that how he does is going to be directly related to how much I teach him along the way. And I couldn't help but think that's a Jesus and the apostles, knowing that there's going to come a time where I can't go where you're going to go. Jesus looking at his apostles, the 12, he knows, listen, I'm going to die and you're going to have to carry this thing past me. I've got to get everything I can into you before I go. Right? And so I began to like talk with Michael a lot while we were at camp. Listen, I'm going to try to prepare you for these moments. Like, I, like when we get into the altars, know this, I'm going to hang back. And you're going to have to pray for kids. They're going to come to you and they're going to bawl their eyes out, and you're going to break for them. Get ready. Get ready to have your heart smashed on, man. I mean, because you'll just fall in love with these kids because they, they really want to be good. They really want Jesus. They really want to be righteous and holy. They really do, but they don't know how. They're struggling just like we are. I know, and he's like, man, I just don't feel worthy. I know, I don't know that we'll ever feel that. And I said, I said, Michael, that's our weaknesses, man. And this is where we get to boast in Christ because I can honestly say in all my years of ministry, I have not done one good thing, but Christ in me has done so much, right? Because I know I feel inadequate every time I get up here and talk. I feel inadequate every time I go to the knees and pray. I feel inadequate all the time. And it's not that I'm not bold in Christ. It's just being honest, it's being human understanding my depravity, understanding my sinfulness. You know, I hear the voices in my head, not you. When somebody cuts me off and all of a sudden, Jesus, where did you go? I need you in my brain right now. (laughs) Slam your finger in a car door and see if there's like Christian words that want to come out. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the world is constantly, everything that is around us, everything that makes us up who we are is always striving against the Lord. So there's always this weakness, this inadequacy. And I begin to like feel this a lot. It's like, man, it's, now I'm starting to feel the pressure. I really am having to release this to him. But as I watched him up there at the altars and praying for kids and laying hands and he's reaching over and he's going after all these other kids too that aren't even our kids. And he's just praying, praying for everybody. And then I saw him baptizing somebody and I began to tell him, listen, man, 
you're going to be the catalyst for so much change in so many kids' life. What an amazing thing God has blessed you with. And he goes, man, but I just don't, I don't really know anything, Pastor. And I'm like, that's why you're perfect, man. That's how you come to Jesus. You come to him and say, I don't know anything, God. I don't know anything. Fill me up. Fill me up, God. Because I'm an empty vessel. I don't have it. I don't have it. I don't have it together. I don't know how to pray for these kids, God. I, don't, I can't do anything for them. I can't heal them. I can't make them whole, God. So, God, you're going to have to be here in this moment. Let me tell you something. There is no time like that. And I remember the time where Michael there on like day three, I guess, where he turns around to the altar and he can no longer pray for anymore because he's weeping too much at the altar for his own inadequacy after praying for kids. Praise God. God sends us moments where we are seeing how sometimes shallow our faith is. And he begins to be filled. I go to pray for him, talk with him. And God, later that evening, begins to work on me and says, man, you're, you're doing right. You know, you're, you're doing up. And then he begins to challenge me in this. Uh, there are things that I hunger for all the time. It's the whole reason Mosaic exists, the whole reason the way I talk the way I do, the way I act the way I do. Um, the whole reason I would still do this and, and, and then rather than just work, <laughs> uh, I long for God to move on the earth. I long for the altar to be our life. For the moment where you feel freedom. For those moments where we, they're the catalyst for our life change. For the moments where you bow low because God has brought you low. I long for the, for the joy and laughter of revival of seeing somebody healed and hearing their story and their testimony of how God has radically shifted their life to this new direction and new place. And I, I, as I sit there and I see a couple hundred kids bawling their eyes out at the altar, I'm reminded constantly, oh Lord, I want this more and more. I want my city overtaken. I want my nation taken back. And I know that the only way that's going to happen, Marble Falls doesn't stand a chance unless revival comes, unless God shows up and does what God does. And here's what I do know. We, can, and I've said this before, and I love all the churches around here, and I love the church in general, the American church in general, but we can't keep doing church like normal. Revival always started out with a praying group. Even Azusa, before uh, uh, the man who's attributed with Azusa gets involved. There were a couple of kids praying in an old rundown house before he joined them. And that's really how Azusa revival started that would eventually launch the, even the denomination of the Assemblies of God. And before that, the Welsh revival was started by a college kid praying, starting to believe all by himself. I went to a Southern Baptist, uh, uh, con uh, not convention, but a, a conference. And uh, this guy was talking about how revival came to his high school. And it said that with two kids, and they would meet uh, every morning before school in a classroom, and they would pray. And it was a brother and a sister. And pretty soon, like, another kid would join them, and they would pray. And then another kid, and then another kid, until the whole school erupted in revival. And then it was every kid. Everybody on the football team got saved. Everybody on every team got saved. I mean, they all started getting saved. I remember it's, all, it's always that. And one of the things I long for, and especially as I look at this leper who is so deficient. And by the way, guys, if you don't think America is struggling with leprosy right now, you're crazy. And I don't mean physical leprosy. I mean spiritual leprosy. <laughs> by the way, marriage is, that limb has fallen off. 
homosexuality is shoved in our faces. I mean, considering 2% of, the, of, our nat- of our national population is homosexual, tell me the last time you watched a TV show and didn't see it. How is that 2%? I mean, if 2% hardly, there's some, there are kids that probably could go their whole life without ever meeting anybody that's gay. I'm just, and I don't, listen, I'm not trying to beat up the gay population. What I'm trying to tell you is this. It's not as much as they make it out to be. They are pressing in upon us. The world is pressing in upon us, trying to make us feel bad, trying to make us look bad for anything we believe. And listen, make no mistake, we're, we all come from the darkness within. And Jesus has radically shifted that in us. He has saved us. He has freed us from the bondage of sin. And all our homosexual brothers and sisters are, are people who need to be liberated from the darkness of sin. So we're not here to hate them. I'm not here to hate on them. I'm here to love them. But what I'm telling you is I'm watching my country die. I'm watching my schools die. I'm watching all the freedom be taken right out from under us. And this nation that used to be one nation under God, it's one nation under God's. Oh, they won't take away that off. The, they'll just add the S at the end. And it'll be, it'll be idolatry before the Lord. By the way, it already is. Oh, you profess me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. And how does God know? Because we're not the house of prayer he's called us to be. We're the house of program. We're the house of, hey, you can drop your kid off and you don't have to do anything. You don't have to teach your kids about Jesus or God anymore. We'll do that for you. We're the house of consumerism. We're a lot of things, but we're far from the house of prayer. So here's what I'm asking. Maybe the hardest thing I'm asking. I'm declaring a fast, and I'm declaring prayer. And I'm about to start setting up some prayer nights for us. And, and here's the thing is, I'm not going to judge or condemn you if you don't come, but, but make no mistake, I'm not going to start beating this drum. All right? I'm going to fast. And here's what I'm fasting for. I'm fasting for signs and wonders. I'm fasting for revival. I'm going to tell you, I'm fasting for a move of the Holy Spirit to the likes I've never seen. And by the way, guys, I've seen the Shekinah glory. So that's bold for me to say that. And when I say the Shekinah glory, for those of you who don't know, I'm talking about I, you don't need fog machines. God will show. I've seen it. I could bring my brother-in-law. I should bring my brother-in-law in here. He was a witness to the things that I've seen. I've seen it. I've seen the Shekinah glory. And he showed up in a church of like 45. So don't tell me where God will or won't go. Listen, God is not uh, uh, impressed by our architecture as much as we are. He's impressed with our heart. And the heart that's speaking to him is the heart that he knows. The worst case, man, ever, ever will be for you to say, man, I know Jesus, but Jesus better know you. And the only way Jesus is going to know you is if you have a relationship with him. There is no relationship if you aren't talking back and forth. Go, go try to have a marriage where only one person talks. Good luck. Good luck. It will not last. You both have to have conversations with each other. Doesn't mean you... Listen, I have arguments with God. Doesn't mean they don't have arguments at times. Doesn't mean all that. But listen, you have arguments usually with people that annoy you. People that annoy you are usually people you like. God, you know God and God knows you. It won't help you to know about him. Prayer is going to help you know him. So I'm going to create some, be looking out for it because it's going to come pretty quick. But for me today, I'm fasting. And I'm asking you to join with me. I don't care what you fast. I'll tell you mine so you can see me live it out before you. And I got this idea as I was up there. Another pastor was talking to me about it. 
and he was talking about how he saw the move of God really move in his life. Now, listen, I've done a lot of fasting without food at all. I made it like a whole seven days, which is like miracles. All right. And, and I tell you how horrible it was. Like we prayed for the seven days. And what is it? Uh, at midnight on the seventh day, we had water burger. And that's not smart after seven days of not eating. Not at all. So this is, this is where I feel like God is leading me. And you, you fast however you want to fast. But for me, I'm going to have one piece of bread a day until God shows up. So if I get skinny, you pray. My wife will jump up and celebrate, but you pray for me that I don't die. But I, I don't think that's going to happen, by the way. I got a lot to go before I die. Um, but that's what I'm going to do.